Welcome to Just Curious Media. This is Let's Talk Movies, and I'm Jason Connell. On the show today, I'm joined by a special guest, Sal Rodriguez. Hello, Jason. Thanks for having me. Sal, it's great to have you back. I believe this is your third appearance on Let's Talk Movies. Yes, I, this is another chance for me to uh, redeem myself from previous guest ships. No, you were fantastic on American Werewolf in London, the original episode of Let's Talk Movies. And then you were on the fly, which was a lot of fun as well. Yeah, see, you're throwing me on some awesome movies. How about like throwing me on a rotten tomato and see how I really do? Well, I like to focus on great films, films worth seeing again or for the first time. And today we are covering The Terminator, 1984, the James Cameron classic film, which spawned five sequels, a TV series, arcade games. I think they even have things at amusement parks for The Terminator but a fantastic movie, episode seven, and here we go. Are you excited? Jason, let's not forget all the fantastic toys that have come out of the Terminator movie, fantastic action figures, even recently, yes, recently, brand new, beautiful Terminator action figures made by NECA, and they are not sponsoring this podcast. Just thought I'd give a shout out because they make great toys, and for our purposes, the Terminator. I wish they were sponsoring this podcast. Maybe they will if I keep throwing the name out. There you go. All right. So it was written and directed by James Cameron, also written by Gail Ann Hurd, who we'll talk about in a minute, but she was his second wife. Just throwing that out there. Mm-hmm. It's an action sci-fi. You could also throw a thriller in there, but I just take this from IMDb. I like to cover the ratings, so I'm going to give you a chance to guess, Sal. What do you think the IMDb rating of this film is? I'm going to say 7.9. Very close. 8.0. Whoa, wow. Yeah, you were really close. You're really I'm close. pretty good at this. And that's a really good rating. IMDb is a much tougher grading scale, I would say. And now for the Rotten Tomatoes grade, which is percentages. Go ahead, Sal. Give me your best guess. 72%. No way, buddy. Not even close because this is 100%. What? 100? 100 out of 100. It is absolutely a fresh film. I've never heard of a movie that's 100 out of 100 on Rotten Tomatoes. I haven't heard of that. I know. And no movie I've covered thus far in season one of Let's Talk Movies has been 100. So buckle up, buddy. You know what? I got to tell you, after watching this movie recently, where we are now in space and time versus the first time I saw it. I mean, when I saw this movie for the first time, I was a kid. Right. Now I watch it as an adult with a new appreciation for it. This movie is action-packed, so exciting, and a little scary, Yeah. and also very simple. I noticed at the end, it's like it was a very simple movie with a simple tale, simple scenes, and they just did such a great job with such simplicity. I'm so glad you said that because I always say the same thing. It's like a chase movie. We don't get caught down in details or unnecessary things. It's A to B. This thing is coming for you, and we must escape or kill it. That's it. There's no weird other storylines, which we should probably talk about at some point in time that Terminator 2 Judgment Day gets into. There's the scientist, and then there's the son, and it just gets caught up. And I think this is how you tell a story. Quick beats, simplify it, incredibly well executed, and it makes you want to revisit the movie again and again. But you know what it doesn't make me want to do? What's that? Visit Los Angeles. I have no interest in visiting my hometown after watching a movie like this. This is like a right up there with Predator 2 and Escape from LA. But Sal, you'll probably never live anywhere else, so. Don't jinx me. <laughs> Fair enough. 
So the movie came out October 26th, 1984. And Sal, I saw it on VHS in the 80s, but I watched it with my family and we were all riveted. How about the first time you saw it? I was lucky enough to see this movie on the big screen. One of my older sisters, right around this time, had a boyfriend. Her and her boyfriend would see movies, a lot of movies. In fact, they were the ones to come home and tell me about The Terminator or tell me about A Nightmare on Elm Street. And then I would then run out with my friends and go try to see the movie based on their recommendations. So I was lucky enough to see this as a kid on the big screen. But what I want to know is, why didn't you see this on the big screen? I just didn't. I mean, there was a gap there where I wasn't able to go see movies by myself. We had moved. We were no longer near a theater. When I was like 10, 11, we lived right next to this theater in Tulsa called the Bowman Twin. And I literally could just walk over, ride my bike. And then we moved further away. So I was relying on my parents to get me to the movie. So VHS had just come out and my dad was really into movies. So he would just load up, go to the video store and get all the new stuff. So that kind of became what I did for a couple of years until we relocated next to a theater. I mean, you're really cut off at that point in time where you have no car, no transportation, no one I knew was driving. So yeah, there was a couple years where I was catching them on VHS, unless I was visiting my grandparents who lived by a theater. And was it make it a blockbuster night? Or are we talking like the mom and pop video store? Yeah, it was mom and pop. I think it was pre-blockbuster. Nice. Anyway, I remember it vividly. And I've never forgot this film, Sal. So quickly, as I always do, I like to get into the budgets and the gross. I'll give you a chance to take another guess because you're so good at it. What do you think the budget for this film was? Keep in mind, it was probably filmed in 83, a long time ago. 70 million. They weren't making movies for 70 million in 83. No, but I, I remember in the 80s was when there was a one or two movies that were pivotal in, in really up in the ante as far as budget. And I thought this was one of them. No, this was a $6.4 million movie. What? Yeah. Is that crazy? Remember remember how good you were at guessing just a minute ago? (laughs) (laughs) So the US gross was $38,371, approximately. I know worldwide it was around 70 something. And I'm sure this movie has far surpassed this number. It's just on IMDb. I'm sure it didn't have any of the ancillary rights and the digital downloads. I mean, this movie's still relevant. So it made enough money to spawn five sequels and counting a TV show, video games, as you said, toys. Yeah. So next, here is the synopsis from IMDb. A human soldier is sent from 2029 to 1984 to stop an almost indestructible cyborg killing machine sent from the same year, which has been programmed to execute a young woman whose unborn son is the key to humanity's future salvation. I guess that sums it up, Sal. Yeah, yeah. And we're going to see how close we are to the proposed Terminator future. Yeah, I know. 2020. On the verge of 2021, 2029 is not that far away. But man, in 84, it might as well have just been year 3000. It just felt like five lifetimes from now. Yeah. So everybody enjoy the next uh, eight, nine years. Absolutely. All right. So this cast, there's three main people. Really, there's this one main star who went on to become a mega star. And that is none other than Arnold Schwarzenegger, who played the Terminator. He went on to do movies such as Predator, The Running Man, Total Recall, True Lies, which was also done by James Cameron. And he was in all the Terminator films with the exception of Terminator Salvation, which he was not in. So Conan the Barbarian was before this. Yes, absolutely. Conan the Barbarian and Conan the Destroyer predated the Terminator. You know, Arnold Schwarzenegger was already a household name 
before his movie career because my father was really big into bodybuilding. So we knew who Arnold Schwarzenegger was. He was a seven-time Mr. Olympia, I believe, Yep. before he ever started his movie career. In fact, he was kind of laughed out of Hollywood in the beginning. They told him he had to change his name. They laughed at his accent. In fact, he did a movie, I think it was called Hercules Goes Bananas or Hercules in New York. Remember that? Yeah. And it's not even his voice. They dub someone else's voice over Arnold Schwarzenegger throughout this whole film. So to see his rise to fame and then even subsequent political career after that, it's really an amazing story. One of those American success stories. I couldn't agree more. And I'm a huge Arnold fan. I actually read his biography, Total Recall, twice. It's amazing. It gets into his days of winning Mr. Olympia, how he segued that into his acting career. He was really smart. In Santa Monica, he owned a lot of different properties. He was working, man. He had a plan. He even told one of his professors that there'll be a day where everyone will be able to pronounce my name. And he was right. I will tell you this. I did a lot of extra work, as you know. I was an extra in the movie Last Action Hero. And around this time and prior to this, I'd been right there next to Kevin Costner. I've been right there next to Michelle Pfeiffer. I've been rubbing elbows with some big names on the set. Name dropper, this guy. I'm dropping names. But it wasn't until I saw Arnold Schwarzenegger walk by me on the set of Last Action Hero that I was starstruck. I'd never been starstruck, I don't think, before or since until that moment when I was like, oh my God, Arnold Schwarzenegger. He, he just looked bigger than life walking by me on set that day. Yeah. And he is kind of bigger than life, to be honest. He also has the charm and charisma that a lot of bodybuilders or even just people in general don't have. So he had the full package. And yeah, he was just a specimen as far as his physique goes. And what a great way to leverage that and get a huge career. And that's cool that you got to be in that movie, although I got to say it's my least favorite Arnold Schwarzenegger film. And one of the, one of the only movies I've ever walked out of. So <laughs> what? I've never finished it. I, it's to me, I don't like to bash things. Maybe I should give it another chance, but did not care for it. Well, since we're sharing, I've never seen it. <laughs> I've never seen it and I was in it. Well, with you in it, I may give it one more chance. But if you ever see the movie, I was in some sort of diner scene. I think he walks by the outside or something like that. Okay. I'll keep an eye out. So next up, we have Linda Hamilton. She plays Sarah Connor. Does an amazing job in this film. Who plays this warm-spirited, carefree, scooter-riding waitress who goes on to become the ultimate survivor. I mean, what an arc she does. And a fantastic job. And she went on to be in movies like Dante's Peak, Terminator 2, Judgment Day, also known as T2, Terminator Dark Fate, which is the most recent Terminator, and Sal, the fourth wife of James Cameron. I did not know that. Wait, were they married at the time of the shooting? No, after. Okay. So in between nice. his second wife, Gail Ann Hurd, and Linda Hamilton, he married and divorced Catherine Bigelow, famous director who did Point Break, and then went on to win an Oscar for The Hurt Locker. Yes, yes, yes. Okay, wow. Against him that year because he was supposed to win it for Avatar. Definitely, yeah. Very interesting. And then the last main character would be Michael Bean, who played Kyle Reese, who went on to do movies like Tombstone, and then two Cameron movies, Aliens and The Abyss. And of course, Reese was great in this role as well. They had really good chemistry, I felt. And that was really the main three, because beyond that, you got some bit players here and there. But like you said initially, just a small movie. We don't get to know that many other people. And I think that's in its favor. Yes. And I will say that there are uh, definitely two great Michael Bean figures. One is the Kyle Reese Terminator figure, and the other was his character in Aliens. And so now I'd like to quickly run through the crew, which is James Cameron, writer-director. He was coming off of 
Piranha 2, which was the sequel to Piranha, and he was actually fired on Piranha 2, thought his career was over, came up with this idea and a dream, more of a nightmare. He really woke up in the middle of the night, wrote it out, told Gail Ann Hurd, who he worked with on Roger Corman films, and then it was an idea percolating, and then it would become his first real feature. And we're still talking about this movie today. Of course, he went on to do T2, Aliens, The Abyss, which I've mentioned before, as well as True Lies. And of course, he did Titanic, which most people remember him for. He wins the Oscar. The movie wins tons of Oscars. And then he does Avatar, which still won a lot of awards. He just didn't win the Best Picture. I believe he is slated to make like a bunch of Avatar movies now, Sal. But every time I look on IMDb, they just keep getting pushed out. Avatar 2, 3, 4, 5. At some point in time, we're going to see more avatar movies you know what i wasn't a huge avatar fan but one thing i did acknowledge is when i watched avatar is when i thought to myself i think that this cgi thing has arrived that was i think the first time i saw cgi i was like you know what this is looking kind of seamless now because it was you know kind of clunky before so definitely I, I would say for me personally avatar put cgi on the map i agree i saw it in 3d right when it first came out and said it's a spectacle and it's worth seeing I didn't love it as much as his other movies, but yeah, it was really interesting. And the technology has come so far from when Avatar came out. I'm really anxious to see where he pushes the boundaries. So Cameron states that the themes had been important to him since high school. The apocalyptic visions, ideas about our love-hate relationships with technology, our tendency as species to move in a direction that might ultimately destroy us, and a central faith in the resourcefulness of humanity. He also credits the post-apocalyptic hit Mad Max 2, The Road Warrior, as a major influence. So with that, as well as his time spent working on Roger Corman films, Cameron knew all the tricks of the low-budget trade and was able to solve a lot of his logistical and practical issues on his own. Even Schwarzenegger was surprised when Cameron didn't hesitate to demonstrate how to perform a potentially dangerous motor stunt himself. Cameron would say that even though it was a studio movie, it was still a low-budget guerrilla-style production. So back to that 6.4 million, Sal. Every bit of that and more is on the screen. I mean, I can't believe they made it for that little bit of money. Nice. And we don't know Arnold Schwarzenegger's salary for this. Is that public record? I'm not sure, Sal. It's a really good question. It couldn't have been too much of the budget. He wasn't a big star yet, so he couldn't have demanded too big of a salary. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking, Emmy. He was not yet a household name. So not able to demand top dollar, but I'm just curious what his salary was for this one. Maybe I'll Google it later. Call him up and say, remember me from Last Action Hero? <laughs> remember me? The diner scene? You walked by me? I was starstruck. So Gail Ann Hurd, who I talked about earlier being the second wife and co-writer of the movie, she also produced it. She went on to do movies like Armageddon, Dante's Peak, and the whole Walking Dead franchise, which is huge. AMC's massive hit. Adam Greenberg was a cinematographer. He also did T2, Ghost, Three Men and a Baby, some good credits there. And Brad Fidel was the composer who did all of the Terminators, as well as Fright Night 1 and 2, and Sal, you'll like this one, Encino Man. <laughs> yes, Brandon Fraser. Being a Valley guy, such as yourself, you had to be excited when that hit the theaters. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, Encino was a part of my life growing up. It was, uh, for me, Encino was uptown. Yeah. All right, Sal, so it's time to jump in to the scenes, the beat-by-beat -beat breakdown, as we do on every episode. Are you ready? I am all set. All right, so it starts with Los Angeles 2029 AD. 
nine years away. It blows my mind. But here we are. So now we see text on screen and it reads, the machines rose from the ashes of the nuclear fire. Their war to exterminate mankind had raged for decades, but the final battle would not be fought in the future. It would be fought here in our present tonight. Ooh, scary. Yeah, this movie is scarier than I remember. In fact, as an adult man, this movie I can see is scarier than I thought of it as a kid. I, I As a kid, I just thought, ooh, this is cool. But now I'm like, you know what? This movie is way scarier than I realized. It absolutely is. He was terrifying. And I don't remember him ever being a bad guy again. And that's too bad because Arnold played a great villain. Yeah, you're right. You're right. I don't think he did play a bad guy after this. So we start with Los Angeles, 1984, 1.52 a.m. There's a great cut to present day with the trash truck because you think you're still looking at this future, but here we are, 1984. And I got to say, Sal, the guy driving the truck, his real name is Chino Fats Williams. Rest in peace. But I've always recognized him because he was in one of my favorite movies, Weird Science, at the candy bar. And I've always spotted him. I was like, that's the guy from Weird Science. And it was. So shout out to him. And then we see electricity crackling all over the place. And then we see a naked Arnold. My mom was so excited about a naked Arnold. I could not believe. I remember my mom in the theater. She let out a shriek, almost like, you know, when they would show teens who would see Elvis on stage. Oh, yeah. This was the Griffith Park Observatory is where they are here. Yeah. And the one thing I thought is, why are they at the observatory? So I was wondering if maybe it had to do with some sort of transmission. Maybe the way that they transmitted him had to be some sort of high point. I mean, Kyle Reese just gets dropped off in an alley, and yet the Terminator shows up on hilltop of Griffith Park. It's just such a beautiful visual. It's been in tons of movies like Rebel Without a Cause, the great Eddie Murphy movie, Bowfinger, to Transformers. So when I first moved to LA in 2004, it was actually under renovation. It had been closed for a year or so, and then finally it opened, and I was dying for it to open because I couldn't wait to go up there. Always seeing it in these movies, and it probably never looked better before than it was in this shot that was beautiful in the way they captured it with Arnold walking over the edge and seeing the city behind him. And then as he turns, Sal, he walks towards three punks, like total punk rockers out of the 80s, and among them is one of my favorite actors who left us far too soon, who was Bill Paxton, kind of leader of the, of the crew, who went on to be in more James Cameron movies, Aliens, True Lies, and Titanic. Plus, let's not forget, he was also in Weird Science. It's Chet. But tell us what happens here, Sal. So the Terminator is nude, approaching these punk rockers. And these punk rockers... You know, they start laughing at this naked guy who's walking towards them, start uh, making fun of him and cracking jokes. He demands their clothes. They pull out knives. Each of them has a switchblade. And uh, yeah, they don't last very long in front of the Terminator. When I was watching this movie for notes, Sal, I was thinking, act like I've never seen it. What does the audience think right now? Because all we know, here's a naked, super strong, buff guy. Is he man or machine? We don't know anything about this guy. But in this scene, you learn he has superhuman strength. Yeah. He punches one of these guys and I think pulls out his heart. Is that what he did? Yes. Oh my God. Yeah. And he got knifed. Yeah. That guy stuck him with the knife, which seemed to do absolutely nothing. And yeah, he got his heart ripped out for it. But then the third guy, the third guy gives up his clothes, right? That big gray coat he gives up uh, to the Terminator. We assume he lives too. We don't know. Yeah, yeah, we don't know. We don't know what happened to that guy. I got to say, Arnold's voice 
His natural voice is so perfect for this role. His normal cadence, it's like it was so perfect because the world hadn't really heard him talk that much. He, yes, he was in the Conan movies, but let's not forget, he didn't talk very much in those movies. So they didn't know the Arnold that maybe your household knew, but most people had just didn't know him. It's like, wow, is this guy, what is this? He's like cyborg-esque already. And you don't even know what he is at this point in time in the movie. No, no, we don't know. So now we cut to downtown LA, like you said, where Reese gets dropped off. You see another electric storm, and now there's a naked Reese. And again, you don't know who this guy is. Is he man or machine or what's going on? But I love how they go through the same portal style, but yet they're dropped off miles apart. Yeah, now that you mention it, you would think that they would wind up in the same spot. It would have been cool if they would have both wound up at Griffith Park Observatory, but then again, you wouldn't have had uh, the same scene with the punk rockers if that had happened. Now, it worked out great, but some things just don't have an explanation. We just go with it. So now, Kyle Reese is his full name. He steals a bum's pants, and then cops begin to chase him. Wait, hang on, Jason. Not just a bum, all right? That man, his name is Stan Yale, actually a good friend of my mother's. And as a matter of fact, when I was a kid, more than a couple of times, we would stop by Stan Yale's house, look at some of his Hollywood memorabilia, look at his movie collection, his record collection, have a visit have a soda, and then be on our way. So rest in peace, Mr. Stan Yale. He did a lot of scenes like that in a lot of movies like that. Wow. So when he came on screen, did your mother also do a big shout out for him? Oh yeah, we both of us were like, hey, there's Stan. That's great. So steals his pants, cops start chasing him. He runs into a cop, takes his gun. But Sal, we learn right there that he doesn't have the super strength that Arnold Schwarzenegger's character has at this point in time. No, and this is also where he asks, what date is it, right? What date is it? Yeah. And the cop's like, what the hell's wrong with this guy? And I was like, what year? He, yeah. He didn't even care about the date. Like, what year? Where <laughs> what, am I? What year is it? That was like me during COVID shutdown. What, what date is it? I lost track. So now he's in a department store grabbing clothes. And I like that shot where you see his foot come down with the Nikes. And Sal, I had those same Nikes. Nice. Nice. They were cool. Yeah. Well, this is one of the things that bothers me, though. We've talked about on previous shows, talked about licensing. And when they make the action figures, when they make the Kyle Reese action figures, guess what? He's not wearing the Nikes. So these licensing wars that they go through, and then meanwhile, us, the fans and collectors, we're the ones that suffer. So now Reese escapes, but he grabs another gun. Because the police door is open, which I'm telling you, Sal, that probably is not the protocol this day and age. You don't leave your cop car, your squad car door unlocked so someone can grab a rifle out of it. Not only does he steal a rifle from these cops, as he's running from them, he dons an entire outfit. How lame are these cops? How, how bad is the LAPD? Well, this guy's from the future, Sal. He's got skills. So now he goes to a payphone to look in a phone book. Because this was a day and age that there was payphones and phone books. And he looks up Sarah Connor and there's three of them, which is kind of cool. Puts his thumb down, sees all three. Boom. We know he's looking for this person. And then I like the way we cut to Linda Hamilton, soon to find out she is Sarah Connor, but she's on a scooter and she rides up to Big Jeff's, which is actually Caro's in South Pasadena right around the corner from where I used to train Nico, my dog, at dog obedience class. It's right there. I used to pass this thing all the time, Sal, and I never knew that the Terminator was filmed there. Okay, do you think that Big Jeff's is a take on 
Bob's Big Boy. Now, in other parts of the country, it's not Bob's. It's just Big Boy. Or it's something Big Boy. But it's a, Kip's and it's Kip's in other places. Okay. So, here it's Bob's Big Boy. And then here she's a waitress at Big Jeff's. Do you think that's sort of a take on, on the Big Boy? Totally. I mean, they should have just left it as Caro's. But yeah, it was Big Jeff's and maybe that was another licensing thing. You know, as far as I know, yeah. or maybe it was Big Jeff's and it turned into Caro's because that's what it is now. I don't know about the lineage back in the 80s, but it, that building is still a restaurant today. And I want to draw attention to her scooter, which I believe was a Honda Elite back in the era when all the kids in my neighborhood had aero scooters, spree scooters. If you were uh, an older kid or a college kid, you had an Elite and I wanted an Elite, never got an Elite. I was still a kid when I was coveting all these things. So I definitely wanted at least an elite scooter though. Very cool. So when she shows up at the restaurant, the time card reveals how we learn her name, Sarah Connor. There it is. And now we cut to the Terminator who now is dressed and he steals a car. Of course, a lot of car stealing in this movie. And Sal, how does he do it? Oh, this is where he does the hot wire, right? We're seeing lots of hot wiring. A lot of hot wiring. So now we're back to Sarah because we're kind of going back and forth and we're learning that she's not a very good waitress, Sal. I mean, she's just kind of making lots of mistakes, messing orders up, kids are picking on her. (laughs) So obviously not the best career path for her at this point in time. This kid, this bratty kid puts an ice cream scoop in her apron. Who are these kids? Yeah. So now the Terminator visits Alamo Sports Shop Guns in Van Nuys. And Sal, I love this scene with the shop owner played by Dick Miller. Rest in peace. He was in movies like Gremlins and The Howling. And Sal, just what happens here? Well, Arnold, he, he's buying an arsenal. Or should I say the clerk thinks he's buying an entire arsenal. He knows all the names of all the guns. He knows their caliber. He seems like a guy that knows his stuff. And right when the shopkeep thinks, wow, this guy's going to buy all these guns. And I think he says something about, I can close early today. All of a sudden, the Terminator puts some shells into the shotgun points it at the shopkeeper's chest, shoots him in the chest. That's it. And I think this was that first moment where we really, really see. I mean, I don't know, the punching the guy and reaching through. Uh, you could kind of say it was self-defense. The guys had knives. You could kind of argue that for a second, play devil's advocate. But here, this guy was definitely just shot in the chest in cold blood. Definitely. Cold blood killing right here. Could have bought the guns. The guy was cool. His shop. Nope. That was it. You knew that the stakes were high. This guy means business. We still don't know what he's doing here. We just know what Reese is doing. So let's cut to him. And he's making a sawed off shotgun with the rope and his trench coat. I mean, he also looks pretty badass, Al. Yeah. This is the outfit that he got from that uh, store when he was running from the cops. And you know, we learn a few scenes from now that for a second there, Sarah thinks that Kyle's trying to get her. So he looks definitely menacing from Sarah's point of view. Absolutely. So next we see Terminator pulls up to a payphone, also going to a payphone for probably the same reason. And he throws a big burly guy, Morris, off the phone. This huge guy in overalls is on the phone and he's like, I don't care what you're doing. Come and get me. Terminator just flings him. Doesn't kill him, Sal. Just literally throws this guy with no problem. And then he's like, man, you've got a serious attitude problem. You just hear that off screen, which is so funny to me. Yeah. So this shows that the Terminator can just fling the most menacing guys. This guy's sort of a burly type guy, kind of like a hillbilly gym for you WWF fans. You know, you wouldn't mess with this guy. And yet the Terminator just grabs this guy, just throws him across the street like a rag doll. So Sal, he goes to the phone book just like Reese did, and he scrolls down, same bit. 
So he is also looking for Sarah Connor. It's all we know. And we know that one of the three is this waitress that we're getting to know. So now we see a little bit of foreshadowing as this toy semi-truck is run over by his tire of the car he stole, this station wagon, I believe. And Terminator is visiting the first Sarah Connor. So Sal, please tell us what happens. Well, he goes up to the door, knocks on the door. A woman opens up the door just a little bit, just uh, just enough to see each other. And he says, Sarah Connor? And she says, yes. And he busts through that door. Like slow-mo. Oh, yeah, yeah. And the gun with the laser scope on it. Oh, man. Right at her head. First Sarah Connor is killed. Well, thank goodness our lead wasn't the first or second in the phone book because game over, right? And I just want to point this out as well. The address on the woman's door, who was just killed, unfortunately, is 14239. 14239. I looked it up. It was on Gilmore Street in Van Nuys, but it doesn't match, Sal, any of the three addresses from the phone book. Mm -hmm. You don't see the full address in all the phone books, but you see an 1823 Doncaster, a 2816 East Hill, and a 309 Calder Canyon. There is no 14239. So I don't know how Terminator knew this Sarah Connor was at some random address. But that's what happened. Well, since we're talking, if you look at the IMDb page for The Terminator, there is, it's probably one of the longest sheets of, what would they be? Bloopers, inconsistencies. Continuity mistakes. Oh, yeah. There's a ton of them. There was a ton of them. Things like, you know, a bloody bandage here, and then it's dry there. You know, anything and everything. Oh, yeah. I mean, I don't want to even poke holes in it. I just found it to be funny. This is a glaring mistake. Because they've showed us the phone book twice, plus they show it when Sarah also goes to the phone book. So we've seen these images three times. It's like, yeah, someone could have slapped a 1823 on there and not left it 14239. But just wanted to point it out. Now we're back at Big Jeff's. And Sal, what does Sarah learn when her coworker drags her to the TV set? This is where we learn. This is where Sarah learns that someone named Sarah Connor was killed, which at this point, you're just thinking, well, that's incredibly coincidental that a person with my name was killed, but I don't think anyone thinks that there's a pattern yet. No, and even her friend says, you're dead, honey. You know, it's just like a joke. Like, ah, it's kind of funny. It's not funny. It's very morbid. But when it's your exact same name, you can kind of laugh at it, or at least this waitress friend can laugh at it. So no big deal, no harm, and not a serial killer pattern just yet. So now Reese hotwires a car. And then Sal, after he does so, he just goes to sleep. I don't think you hotwire and go to bed in the car, right? Well, what happened is I think he was sort of hypnotized. If you look at, he was right outside of a construction site, looks over at the construction site. There's one of those big pieces of equipment rolling along the dirt that has the sort of tread on the bottom like a tank. And then that piece of modern day equipment kind of morphs into the futuristic battleground rolling over skulls. So all of a sudden, I don't think we know that he's sleeping yet, but that's what happened. He fell asleep in the car and now he's flashbacking or flash forwarding to his everyday life, which is being a freedom fighter, part of the rebellion. Yeah. I think I would have driven like a mile away or something after I hot wired the car, but whatever. And yeah, that, that junkyard is very Mad Max-esque. It's got that kind of feel about it. 
And the FX, I know they're dated when we go back in his dreams, which is obviously from the future, but it looks really good. It's not bad for the era. And I like on the radio, you hear Bob Stereo, we sell compact laser disc, and there's this big advertisement for all the technology at the time as he dozes out. So, Sal, I don't know. Did you ever go to Bob's Stereo? <laughs> that might have been made up for the movie. I never heard of uh, Bob Stereo. I think we might have had uh, Fred Rated. Uh, there was a local guy named Shadow Stevens. He did something called oh, yeah. Federated. He advertised for Federated. His name was Fred Rated, and he would smash stereos and smash televisions with a giant sledgehammer. But So that's about as close as we got to Bob's TV. Well, I knew Shadow Stevens from Hollywood Squares when I was a kid. He yes. was always on Hollywood Squares. So now we're at Sarah's apartment, and she's wearing like a Flintstone shirt, and her roommate, who we find out is named Ginger, she's always got her Walkman on. And a lot of people in that day and time did, but she's always rocking the tunes and they're getting ready. And I'm telling you, Sal, there's a lot of 80s hair in the bathroom. Yeah. So here we have two ladies in the 80s, two roommates getting... By the way, I noticed that they had to share a bathroom. So there she is bumping shoulders with her roommate, Ginger. They're rocking out. They're getting ready. They're excited to spend a Friday night out with their guys having a good time. And Ginger's boyfriend is Mike, played by Rick Rozovich. You may recognize him from movies like Roxanne, Top Gun, Navy Seals, which also had Michael Bean in it, who plays Reese. So he calls on the phone. That's kind of a funny exchange, Sal. Yeah, he calls on the phone and starts talking dirty to Sarah, thinking that it's Ginger. Starts talking about how he's going to take her panties down with his teeth. Yeah, and then she tells him, uh, no, let me get Ginger. And he's embarrassed. And then Ginger gets on the phone and he starts right back at the top. (laughs) the same routine he's not changing a word take two so now we're at the police station and lieutenant traxler played by paul winfield rest in peace great actor you may recognize him in movies like star trek 2 wrath of khan mars attacks along with detective vukovic played by lance henriksen he's in aliens also james cameron near dark I also met Lance Hendrickson at the Los Angeles United Film Festival, played one of the movies he was in. He was fantastic. He came to the kickoff party at the beauty bar. And then about a few months later, I was flying to London to run the festival there. And we were on the same flight. And he comes over and we just chat for a minute because it had only been a few months. And then he is with Carl Weathers who plays Apollo Creed and the Rocky movies. And I'm just like, golly, Apollo Creed is huge. And then out of nowhere, there's Sean Austin. So Sal, I was on this crazy star-studded flight and I felt completely safe because they always say like, hey, as long as you're on the flight with a celebrity, you're probably going to be okay. Well, I had three on that flight. So I felt really good as we crossed the pond. Wait, were they all together or they just all happened to be on the same plane? No, Hendrickson was with Carl Weathers. They were doing a movie or something. And then Sean Austin was just out of nowhere. Wow. And lastly, Vukovic, Lance Hendrickson's name in this movie, was the name used in To Live and Die in L.A. A great name. So one of the characters' names Vukovic. And I highly recommend checking out the Let's Talk Movies To Live and Die in L.A. episode, episode three. And great movie as well. Very L.A. movie. Before we move on, Sal, did you also meet Lance Henderson at the L.A. festival that year? <laughs> I didn't remember until you just brought it up. But yes, I do remember now <laughs> meeting Lance Henderson at the festival. In fact, did we do a Q&A? I'm sure. You probably did. You guys went for beers after that. Remember that? I did a Q&A with Lance Henderson at the L.A. United Film Festival. Yeah, I do remember that now. His characters are kind of grisly and, and a little spooky. 
Yeah. And yet that's not the way he really is. He's not like that at all. He's a very, very pleasant guy. He's a great guy. Really is. And their dynamic, Traxlers and Vukovic, the lieutenant and detective, are fantastic. They kind of ground the movie. They give it some humor. I mean, it's two people that are really connected beyond probably Ginger and Sarah, but we don't really see that dynamic blossom. But these two are great. And I'm really happy that we explore them just as much as we do. And so, Sal, as they're talking, what does Vukovic lay on Traxler? Well, this is where we learn, and I was surprised to hear this, and I'll tell you why. This is where we learn that there have now been two Sarah Connors killed. Yep. And the reason I say I was surprised to hear this is because we, as the audience, don't see the second one killed. We see the first one killed, and know we have Linda Hamilton as Sarah Connor, our hero, but this number two Sarah Connor, we know nothing about, nor did we see her death. Yeah. I wonder if they shot it and they just thought it was repetitive and why keep it? Again, this movie doesn't veer off too much, and it would have played out very similar to the first one, so maybe they thought, this is a good reveal. Just to say it, and you see the lieutenant's face, because he's so nonchalant. He's walking through. He's got his coffee. There's cops trying to detain somebody, and he's got his straw, and he's just, you know, he's been there, done that. And then the detective comes up, and he's kind of dropping these files on him, and he's like, yeah, I can read. I can see. And when he finds out it's the same name, he's like, is this right? Like, uh-oh, we got ourselves a serial killer here. And he says the name Sarah Louise Connor. Now, Sal, let me just go back to the phone books. There's a Sarah Ann Connor, there's a Sarah Connor, and there's a Sarah J. Connor, who I assume is our hero. There is no Sarah L. or Louise Connor. So I have no idea who they're talking about. And you know what? I didn't read this on the IMDb uh, bloopers page yet either. So you know what? I think I'm pretty observant and I catch bloopers in movies. Uh, I thought I had a gift, but you know what? There are people who are they are amazing at catching little inconsistencies and little bloopers in movies. The tiniest little thing that your average person would never notice. These people find these little flaws. I got to hand it to them. Are you one of these people? It's almost like a, a cinema savant is how, what I call these people. I do spot those things. But again, I don't like to point out the small continuity. It's the bigger things like this, these types of nuggets. If you're going to lay out some information, just match that information. I do see those inconsistencies. I don't care about a half-burned cigarette and then a brand new cigarette mm. in their mouth and they cut back and it's yes. almost gone. Like, yeah, that's a continuity thing. Editors and directors, they will choose performance over continuity most every time. But this was obviously yeah. like, oh yeah, well, make a Luis, but there's no Luis. Like, that's a bigger flaw to me and worth pointing out. Well, I think maybe they didn't have our second murder. Maybe she had like a emblem on her shirt. They couldn't show it. Yeah, exactly. She had a Nike swoosh on her and they couldn't do it. All right. So now the girls are dressed up and we meet Pugsley, who's like her- It looks like an iguana. Iguana. And there's this moment when she kisses the iguana, says something like, he's there for me. And then the iguana hisses in her face. Yeah, that was good. So and now we're checking our messages, which is what you did in the 80s, right? And it's Sarah's mom- leaving a quick message. And then the second message is from Dan and Sal. Who is Dan and what does he have to say? Okay, well, this guy, this idiot, is canceling a date with Sarah Connor. This guy had a date with Sarah Connor. Uh, Ginger was going to go out with her boyfriend. This guy was going to go out with Sarah. I don't know if they were really serious. It seemed like probably like a new guy, maybe. But Sarah was going to go out on a date with this guy. But he calls, leaves a message, says something came up. I hate when people say that something came up. Reeks of bullshit, cancels the date, and now Sarah is alone on this Friday night. Yeah. Pretty lame. 
Ginger's mad. Like, this jerk, you can't do that to you. It's Friday night. So now Sarah changes because she was like a little more dressed up, a little more professional, looked more like a first date. And she changes and she puts on a tie-dye shirt and it looks like a members-only jacket, something like that. As she walks out the front door, we see it's apartment 225, which is also not in the phone book, Sal. I don't know how he tracked them down, but she goes to her scooter and Sal, who's in the parking lot spying on her? Well, there's Kyle. So you could see how she's starting to get that feeling that she's being followed, as she is, by Kyle Reese. So we'll see what he's up to. Yeah, because he didn't know the number of the apartment, but he assumed that he is the right place. And she comes out and he follows her. He's tailing her. So now we're at the police station. We got Traxler and Vukovic, and they're trying to reach the third Sarah Connor, our Sarah Connor. So now we cut to the apartment and we see Matt and Ginger in bed. I don't even know if they went out or they just stayed in, whatever. And Ginger's still wearing the headphones. So now we cut back to the police station. And Sal, I love this exchange with the detective and the lieutenant. He's got to go talk to the press because the second Sarah Connors has been announced, at least they know. And now the press is kind of beating him down because, you know, you get a serial thing going on and everyone's on hyper alert. And he's like, well, how do I look? Vukovic says. Like shit, boss. And, <laughs> and then Traxler says, your mama. <laughs> it's such a funny exchange. Yeah, these guys, you could tell, have a history together. They might have climbed the ranks together, these guys. They were probably rookies together. They got a long history. Wonderful rapport. A lot of uh, jabs between these two. Very fun to watch. Yeah, they're really good. I mean, they really are the only comic relief we have in this movie. And it really takes the air out just here and there, which we need. And they're just so at ease in their own skin. I, I love someone who's done something for so long. It's like, I got to go deal with this. Your mama. You know, you look like shit. It's pretty funny. I was going to mention something I really loved. If you notice Sarah and Ginger's answering machine, their outgoing message, they do that old gag where if you call the number, you call their apartment, the machine goes, Hello? Hello, and then you're on the other line going, oh, hello, hello, and they're like, ha ha, fooled you, we're not here, this is our answer machine. What young person in the 80s and probably up to the early and mid-90s did not do this to their answer machine? Yeah, and who didn't fall for it? Everybody did the first time. <laughs> so now Sarah's eating dinner at, I believe it's Umberto's because it was on the apron that the bartender was wearing. Sarah's having a pizza pie, having a good old time by herself because Dan canceled on her. And she looks across, and yet another TV news story. And Sal, what does this one say? Two victims killed, both named Sarah Connor. Now, at one moment, another patron says, turn that off. And Sarah runs up to the bar. Don't turn it off. Kind of alarming these other patrons, like, who the hell is this lady? And she is intently staring at this screen behind the bar, realizing two Sarah Connors have been killed, and her name is also Sarah Connor. Yeah, one, ah, that's, that's weird. Two, we got a problem. And then Sarah runs to the phone book. So this is our third phone book slash payphone combo in the movie. And she goes to that exact same page and she discovers she's number three. Sal, too bad there's not 20 in between the second and her. <laughs> but there's only three. 
So she's next, maybe. We don't know what's going on. Had they been after Salvador Rodriguez in the phone book in Los Angeles- You're safe. I would have been like number 128. I would have had time to take a bath and then pack before the Terminator comes. (laughs) Now Sarah leaves and Reese is stalking her right there. She's feeling it. Like, look, you know, I've never really been followed by someone, but I'm assuming you get like a sixth sense about it. Plus what's going on with the two deaths and all these things at play. She's on hyper alert. And she goes to a place called Tech Noir. Love that name. More about that later. And as she walks in and she's just trying to use the phone and she's got to pay 450. So she pays really fast and goes in. And then we hear this song playing photo play by Triangles who have a few songs in the movie. And then Sarah calls the cops, Sal, but what happens when she tries to call the police? Well, she dials 911, right? But she can't get through. What is it, like a voicemail comes on? Yeah, I don't know if it was 911, but it was like, please hold. So they weren't in a hurry. They don't have the dispatch that they have this day and age. But Sal, she just hangs up. Yeah, and also, did you happen to notice the patrons in this tech noir, they were literally all doing the same dance? Oh, yeah. They were all doing the same dance move, which is the new wave 80s dance move. I stood up and, and did it as I was watching the movie today. Yeah, every one of those patrons doing the same exact dance. Yeah, I liked it. So now the Terminator arrives at Sarah's apartment. How did he know it was 225? I'm not sure, but he's the Terminator. And kind of a weird cut from this police car, squad car that's out front. You're like, what's going on there? And he gets a call and he, he takes off. So this random cop was just kind of in front of their building for whatever reason. As he drives away, the Terminator walks in frame. As he's walking up to the apartment, you have Ginger. She's still got her headphones on. You hear a song called Intimacy by Lynn Van Heck. Pretty good little track. And she's making a fee, Sal. Like she's whipping up a bunch of midnight snacks. This woman is fantastic. They just made love. He's napping and she's in there making a sandwich. This is woman of the year. Do I sound like a chauvinist when I say that? This woman, Ginger, God bless her. I shed a tear uh, when she meets her demise. And then the Terminator opens the sliding glass door, Sal. And what happens? Yeah. Well, the first person he approaches is the sleeping boyfriend and the sleeping boyfriend wakes up. I got to hand it to him. He's ready to fight. He grabs a lamp, starts swinging it. This guy tries to defend himself, to defend the apartment, to defend Ginger. And the thing about the Terminator is that he doesn't fight. He doesn't know how to fight. He's not a trained fighter. He just gets this guy and just throws him around. He throws him against the mirror. He throws him against the dresser. He then throws him through the bedroom door. He's just treating this guy like a hawk would treat a mouse. This guy just has no chance. No, at first he throws him out the sliding glass window. And I think, hey, that would really hurt. And if I'm that guy, I'm not going to get up and try to go at this guy again. Play dead. (laughs) But he doesn't. He is tough. Matt is trying to defend himself and Ginger. And he's killed for it, unfortunately. And as Ginger's bebopping down the hallway, listening to her tunes, and she's got this big feast, everything's done and ready to deliver to Matt and herself. And Matt comes crashing out of the door and bloodied up. And she's like, that's the last thing she probably thought she was going to see as she comes back down the hallway. And this is a really cool shot, Sal. As she turns to move away, and he has, I believe, the laser pointer gun again. And what happens? Yeah, he shoots Ginger in the back as she's running away from him. What a coward he is, shooting a woman in the back. It's terrible, but it's a really cool shot because she's almost diving away 
and get shot and it's like slow-mo through the air. It's really, really cool. I mean, it sucks for Ginger. And yes, this guy is a maniac killing everyone in his path, but it's a cool moment visually. And he doesn't know who he's killed. He's killed some guy that attacked him. He was there to kill the female in the building, in the apartment. But he's trying to like look around and scan Terminator style. And the phone rings. And it's Sarah calling from the Tech Noir Club, telling Ginger to grab her boyfriend and come get her. So she gives up where she is on their answering machine. And of course, the Terminator is there listening and he hears this. Yeah. He's like, I killed the wrong person. No worries there. He is now headed to Tech Noir. Even the most sociopathic killer might have been like, oh, shit. <laughs> so the difference is Reese knows what she looks like. He's been tracking her, following her. We don't know what he's up to, but he's much closer to her than the Terminator is at this point in time. In fact, we don't even know what his name is yet. That's true. We don't know who the uh, trench-coated gentleman who ran from the police who was also teleported in the beginning of the movie. Yeah, we don't know his name yet. You are right. So now we cut to Sarah, who's leaving that message, and now she's on the phone with the police. And we hear in the background another triangle song, Burning in the Third Degree. And Sal- Can I just mention something? This this goes back to the way the police fumbled when they were chasing the trench-coated hero in the beginning of the movie. So the police, the detectives, have Sarah Connor on the line. She says she's at the Tech Noir. They say they're sending a police car over. Don't you think they should have stayed on the line with her? What kind of cop isn't going to say, okay, remain on the line- we are sending a car over, especially under these circumstances involving uh, a serial killer and involving the press. They fumbled it. LAPD is just screwing up everything. Well, I gave her good advice. Stay in a public place. You'll be okay there. Don't go to the restroom. Don't be out of sight. And I like how he knew where the place was immediately. Oh, it's over there on Pico. Yeah. So Traxler knows that dance move very well. But now, Sal, after she gets out the phone with them, who shows up? In walks the Terminator. Yep. And he doesn't pay an entrance fee. And therefore, the bouncer comes along, hey, puts his hand on his shoulder, like, you didn't pay your fee, buddy. And like a, an adult to a child, the Terminator just grabs this guy's hand, squeezes it, breaks it instantly. The guy falls uh, into a heap on the floor. In fact, some other patron comes to rescue the bouncer as the Terminator just keeps walking into this club. Yeah. And this is a great sequence as the Terminator spots Sarah because she'd knocked over her Canada dry on the ground or something. So she went to pick it up and the Terminator came in, did like a sweep of the place, but then he spots her. And as he spots her, Reese spots the Terminator and all this is going on. It's really cool. Very well orchestrated. And then tell us what happens. Yeah. It's a good three shot because for a second there, you see over the trench-coated hero's shoulder looking at the Terminator who is looking at Sarah Connor and Sarah Connor looking at the Terminator. So it's it's one of those uh, wild, wild west moments where whoever's quickest on the draw is going to walk away alive. Right. And then the Terminator gets the laser pointer and it's on Sarah. I mean, she is dead. Mm -hmm. It's game over. She's just deer in the headlights like, huh? What is this? I thought this was tech noir. <laughs> what is this? And then Reese fires off a bunch of shots, hits a Terminator, and then what happens? And they go into a crazy gunfight here in the tech noir, Reese versus the Terminator. And at this point, Sarah Connor doesn't know what the hell's going on. 
Who's the good guy? Who's the bad guy? Who wants to kill me? Who wants to save me? Are these guys on the same team? She has no idea, no clue what the hell is happening. She's just waiting for the police to arrive. Exactly. But Reese actually injures the Terminator. And then he comes over and says, come with me if you want to live to Sarah. And Sarah doesn't know what to believe, but she did to see him fight this bigger person off. And then he gets up slowly because he's not down for long. So we're learning that this guy's indestructible. Of course, we've already seen him get knifed. We've seen him do some miraculous things, fight guys with no problem. And now he can take bullets and come back. Almost like Jason from Friday the 13th or Mike Myers from Halloween. Like they're down for a second and then the hands, the fingers start to move and then they're back at it. That's kind of who he's emulating here. Yeah, wouldn't this be the ultimate nightmare? And the only reason this is not a horror film is because it has the sci-fi robotic element. But this guy is this hyper-killer Imagine Michael Myers, imagine Jason, indestructible, but with the intelligence of a computer. Holy cow, this guy is terrifying. But he almost kills Sarah again, and Reese has to save her again. This is his plan, and he's already killed two Sarah Connors today, so this has to be the real one. And now they're running, and the Terminator chases, and Sal, we see his POV the Terminators, that is. And it's like $6 million man. He's getting all these data points in there. And, and this really reminds me of Steve Austin. I'm, I'm really loving this. But this is back in 84. So really cool back then. Yes. And especially cool when you know who did the special effects. And that is Stan Winston. So as I'm watching 1984's Terminator, I'm thinking, what does this remind me so much of? And the Terminator's POV, when you look through his eyeballs, not only Million Dollar Man, but for our era, Predator. 1987, also starring Arnold Schwarzenegger, special effects by Stan Winston. So we see his trademark POV. When you are either a predator or you are a Terminator, this is how you see the world. Yeah. And it's scary. Now we know right then, this is a machine. And we didn't know that until that point in time. I mean, we kind of assumed he could take all these bullets, but he could have had a bulletproof vest on. But now we know this is not a man. We don't know about Reese, but he seems to be more human. So now Reese blows up a car. He's quite good at that. And Terminator jumps over the car, Sal, lands on it. And what does he do? He's on the hood and he punches his fist right through the windshield. Hand through the broken windshield, reaching for her as Reese is going in reverse super fast. I mean, a lot's going on here. And then the Terminator falls off the car. Kyle and Sarah take off, or should I say our hero and Sarah take off, leaving the Terminator lane there, and then the cop comes up. Yeah, we got a hit and run here. He thinks the Terminator was the victim in this situation. So while he's calling an ambulance, Terminator stands up, goes over to the cop, grabs him by the back of the head, and smashes his head against the cop car. It's got to be certain death. I mean, if you or I did it, he might not die. If the Terminator does it, he's probably dead. So I'm assuming that he killed this cop right here. Maybe. Or maybe just injured him badly. I'm not sure. But whatever, he has the car. And so I also noticed in this sequence that his hair changed. I don't know if you noticed it, but it definitely has changed. Maybe there's some prosthetics going on, but there are scenes where his hair, Arnold's hair is very different. If you watch it again, like right before he jumps on the hood, it's one way. It's more like more normal, like Arnold from his bodybuilding days. And then it's like this weird kind of like hairpiece. But maybe they put some things on his face and they had to do that. But his hair is different for whatever reason. And he also does something 
that we learn about him here that he can mimic voices perfectly. Yeah, this is where it's really, really scary. And again, the fact that he's a robot, we let him off the hook, but this would be considered absolute evil. He just happens to be a robot. He kills and he messes with your head by tricking you and making you think that you're talking to somebody that you're not. In this instance, he makes Dispatch think that he's a cop. I think the voice, he's able to capture your voice and record it and then mimic you. So he does it with this cop. Was the purpose of this to throw Dispatch off his trail? Is that what he's trying to do here? Yeah, and then he wants to kind of be undercover in this cop car and then track their whereabouts because they're hightailing all over town with a broken windshield. So he knows, he's already figured out like, okay, I'm in a good position, a position of authority. They have CBs and everyone's going to communicate and I'll just scan. And yeah, so he's one step ahead of everyone. I mean, he's a robot. He's total AI here, a badass AI at that. And in fact, we're going to be finding out very soon his actual name. Because he does have an actual name we're going to find out soon from our hero when he explains things to Sarah Connor. So Sarah's freaking out in the car, Sal. And she knows she's safe with this guy, but she doesn't know who this guy is. So he's kind of spewing off things, almost like military. Like, I'm Reese, Sergeant Techcom, VN36416. And she's like, what? (laughs) You know, he's just, (laughs) this is all he knows. He's a soldier. Sure. You know? And... He tells her that she's targeted for termination, which again, still, it's just too much to digest. She's been through a whirlwind of a day from finding out the two Sarah Connors are dead, from being stood up on a date, to nearly getting killed a couple of times by this whatever it is. So it's just a lot to process. And let's not forget her roommate, Ginger, and her boyfriend being murdered. Yeah, but she doesn't know that yet. Oh, she doesn't. That's right. She doesn't know that yet. That's sad. And then... Reese begins to explain what is chasing them. Well, officially, what is chasing them is a cyborg, also called a cybernetic organism. Officially, Cyberdyne Systems Model 101. Correct. Now, for you of fanboys out there, some people call this the T-800. They started calling it the T-800 in Terminator 2. And from what I understand, the 101 is essentially the T-800. They just wanted to use that name for the second movie and subsequent movies. So it's one of the same. Okay. Well, one thing he also has that I'd completely forgotten about is that he does actually have flesh. They grow the skin and hair in a lab for the cyborgs to wear as sort of a skin suit, but it is actual flesh grown in a lab. Very interesting. Yeah, it really is to pass as humans. And that's why, you know, you couldn't really tell who he is. However, they picked a guy that's pretty uh, conspicuous. They picked this huge man who definitely stands out in a crowd and has a very unique voice, but whatever. I'm glad it's Arnold. So, If they really wanted to have a T-800 not blend in, they would have made him look like me. Nobody looks when I walk down the street. I'd be a killing machine. Yeah. And SR... 800. <laughs> How about the SR900? Maybe I'm one Ooh. I'm one up. Yeah, I like Because that. I can blend in, so the T900 can blend in to society a little better. So now cops are chasing them and they find refuge in a parking garage. And Reese goes on to share about the future, and of course Sarah's just like, I don't know this guy, and she's trying to flee again. But Sal, he's opening up and just saying he's not even sure if he can kill a Terminator. So my question is, why just send one Reese? Send a few more back. 
strength in numbers, but they don't. They send him back and hopefully he'll do his best. You know, this seems like a pretty critical thing is to keep Sarah Connor alive so she can have John Connor. It just seems like there would have been more done. It's like, uh, here you go. Good luck to you, Reese. He's a badass. And you got no weapons from the future either. So go save the future. This is piggybacking off of Let's Talk Movies the Fly. I would imagine it would be easier to send non-organic material through a time portal than an organic uh, piece, but whatever. I mean, because for the fly, it was the opposite, right? It was easier to send non-organic materials through. Yeah, you're absolutely right. They were the stocking, the the meat that tasted synthetic after he put it through, but it would mess up the baboon. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Good point. So now the Terminator is driving and scanning. He's in the cop car, and they have found the vehicle at the parking garage. The cops have. And Reese and Sarah get out of the car just in time, and they upgrade because now they have a Cadillac, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, because later on when the cop orders them out of the car, he he mentions the Cadillac. Now, Sal, I know there's a lot of hot wiring, but there's also a lot of unlocked cars in the 80s. Yeah. I think maybe in the 80s, less people locked their cars. I mean, we didn't even have the club in the 80s. I think the club came out in like the early 90s. So I think uh, the 80s was a more trusting time, I think. Yeah. All right. So now Reese shares about the nuclear war, the machines, the defense network computers, and yes, one John Connor. And Sal, Sarah believes him. Well, I think she really on the fence about believing him, but uh, she knows she's not dead, right? If this is the guy that wanted her dead, she would be dead. So I think maybe minute by minute, she starts to kind of trust him more because I think she's seen enough now to know that this guy is not the one who's here to kill her. She doesn't may not believe his story entirely because remember later on at the police station, she asked the police about his sanity. So right now she doesn't know what to think, but is starting moment by moment to, I think, trust him a little bit more. And this movie is very ahead of itself in so many ways. But here we are in today's day and age, and AI has become a bigger and bigger movement. We rely on smart devices and helping with our homes. And there's people like Elon Musk and Jeff Bezos who are really pushing AI. And this movie, that's really what it is, essentially. It's machines got so smart that they wanted to wipe out mankind. And so they're doing a pretty good job. And it's kind of a scary thought to see AI churn on us and, you know, it could be uh, lights out. Yeah, I think if they were to reboot the Terminator today, they would have just dropped a Siri inside of a T-800 with a 5G connection, right? That's it. Scary. So now the Terminator spots them as they're in the Cadillac. And this begins a big car chasing and shooting, and he's having Sarah help out, grabbing the wheel. And what happens, Sal? Well, they're having an incredible shootout chase scene. It's like they're shooting at each other as he's chasing them. At a few moments, they're kind of running parallel together, him on the other side. So it's sort of a duel, a moving duel. But uh, yeah, very interesting sequence because it's both a shootout and a chase at the same time through this parking garage. And as though parking garages aren't scary enough, now we have a cybernetic organism chasing you. Exactly. As they fly down the road, Sarah does the unthinkable and she throws the car, the car that's in drive. I think she throws it in park or reverse while she's going that fast. So the car is shot, but it totally stops. And Terminator's car keeps going and slams into a wall. And they're sort of maybe like in a freeway overpass, sort of a dead end. 
And so here's the Terminator crashed over here, and here's Kyle Reese and Sarah Connor, and then here come all the cop cars, and Kyle Reese is ready to have a shootout with the cops. But then Sarah says, no, 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 and tells them to settle down. They surrender to the police. They are arrested. They look over, and the T-800 is gone. Very Mike Myers, Jason-esque. Mm-hmm. Yep. So now we're at the police station, and Sarah finds out about Ginger and Matt. And she's obviously very broken up about it. Not only is some killer after her, he's killed her friend, her friend's boyfriend, and harmed so many people. And she's just, you know, this is like the worst day ever and has no idea how it's going to stop. And she's with a guy that, like you just said, is he crazy? She's questioned his sanity, although everything he's saying kind of makes sense about this indestructible person that can take bullets, who jumps over cars, who hits through windshields. Like, it doesn't make sense. Maybe he is a machine. And then we meet the criminal psychologist, who's named Silberman. And I love this actor, Sal, played by Eric Bowen. And he went on to be in Terminator 2 and Terminator 3 in this role. I didn't know that. This guy's in the three movies, and he's the criminal psychologist. Yeah. Kind of weird that this obscure character went on to be in all three of them. He fits right in with the detective and the lieutenant. I love that he's just so natural, Sal. Obviously, they brought him in late at night. He's yawning. He's there. She's like, is he crazy? And he's like, well, that's what we're going to find out. And flips his little pen. Like, he's just right on. They just nailed it. Yeah. Now we're back to the Terminator, and he's in an apartment. I guess he's just commandeered this apartment, Sal, and he's repairing himself. His arm, the flesh part of his arm has taken some hits, and this is a really cool sequence. Yeah, he's using at least what we used to call exacto knives, which are these little utility knives that are used like in drafting and arts and crafts. So he digs into his forearm with this little exacto knife and performs a full-on open forearm surgery. It was definitely one of the coolest sequences of the 80s. Yeah, it was really neat. And it's a great effect. And a lot of these throughout the movie just give it that authenticity. Like now we know this is a machine and now we're seeing the inner workings of said machine. We just saw him take things and absorb them. But now we know like, oh my God, Reese is right. So we as the audience now can all believe that he's telling us the truth. And we've seen him dreaming and we've seen the future from the audience standpoint. So yeah, it's pretty cool. And now we cut back to Silverman, who's interviewing Reese. And I love this sequence too, Sal. They're all getting a laugh. And I like when Silverman says, oh, okay, I get it. So it's kind of like retroactive abortion. And he's talking about time displacement equipment and how Reese can't go home. So Silverman's just, you know, he's seen it all before. He thinks Reese is loaded up on drugs and no one's buying the story. But as a, as a psychologist, your job is to make the subject kind of think you believe him. Right. He kind of makes it seem like, okay, so let me get this straight. So then you go here and then you use this device and then you use this machine. And he makes Sergeant Reese think that he's kind of on board with his story and he just might believe his story. Yeah, but he doesn't. But Reese's convictions are strong. We know that he's telling the truth. And Sarah's the only one there that's seen some of this evidence. So back to the Terminator who's fixing his eye, the classic red eye, which is an homage to Hal from 2001, no doubt. He doesn't actually do a repair job. He just kind of chucks his eyeball because I guess he 
Right. Realizes he he can't fix it. So he just chucks his eyeball and puts on the glasses. But I tell you, this scene where he's working on his own eye, doing surgery on his own eye, mm. not for the faint of heart. I mean, yeah. you know, one of those things where you hold your breath. And and again, going back to the 80s, I mean, we haven't seen this before. No, not at all. It's very cool. We hadn't seen it before. And it still holds up today. So it's still really neat. And like you said, he puts the sunglasses on and he kind of looks like Jim McMahon, who was a famous NFL quarterback in the 80s for the Chicago Bears and later the Philadelphia Eagles. But he looks really cool like that. He's got the same kind of hair. All he was missing was the headband that said Roselle on it, which was the NFL commissioner in the 80s. But, uh, and also, Sal, I noticed that he is now upgraded to a black leather jacket, much different than the one he stole from the punk at the Griffith Observatory in the first scene. I think we're just led to believe that he's just jacking people for clothes everywhere he goes. I mean, and, and the thing of it is, see, look, if you're, let's say, a thug on the street and a greater thug comes and jacks you or punks you, you can't run to the police and say, hey... This guy stole my clothes, you know, because then you're now you're a punk. So he probably just accosted what would have to be another large guy, steal his leather jacket, and there's nothing that that other guy could possibly do. Guess that's the rule of the street. So now we're at the police station and they're watching the video interview, and Vukovic likes the ray gun reference. He's laughing, he's snickering, and. So Reese shares that you have to be naked to come through, which is also pretty funny to them. But he also shares that Skynet only knew Sarah Connor's name and the city she was in. So very hazy details. And they dropped him here. And that's what the Terminator's doing. And he's been very successful with his limited knowledge. He's already wiped out two Sarah Connors. And he knows what the third one looks like. And he's hunting her down. And Reese knows it. It's always just a matter of time until the Terminator shows up. He's begging them to release him so he can be with Sarah because he probably has the best chance of saving her. And they're having none of it, Sal. No, because they also bring along a giant bulletproof vest and show her, yeah, this guy was wearing the body armor. That's how he got up after the gunshots. And then she's like, what about punching through the windshield? They're like, ah, he's probably on PCP. So they minimize everything that the Terminator is doing, brushing it off on drug use or body armor. And I think that's enough for the moment for Sarah to think, okay, the guy was a drug addict with body armor. Kyle Reese is a nutcase. And then they laid Sarah down to take a nap in the police station, which has 30 police officers have a rest on this comfortable couch in this office. Yeah, and they're being nice. Trexler's trying to be really sweet to her. In fact, at one moment when they're watching the video interview, it goes too far, and he's like, oh, kill it, Doc. Kill it, because you're upsetting Sarah. So yeah, he's like, hey, this couch doesn't look like much, but I've slept here myself a lot, so take a little nap while your mother drives down from Big Bear, a place that I've been to often with young Nico, my dog. I've had some cabins there. It's a fun place. It's about an hour and a half, maybe two at the most, outside of Los Angeles. So now the Terminator is going to the police station. And I guess it's because he saw Reese and Sarah get picked up or apprehended by the police when he fleed the scene after he ran into the wall, after he kind of came to. As he shows up, we see Bowen, our beloved criminal psychologist, his beeper, our pager goes off, and he's looking down at it. And then the Terminator walks in right behind him. And next comes the most classic line in the entire franchise. So, Sal, please take us through it. Yeah, this line has transcended the movie 
itself in our cultural lexicon, I would say, ever since this date. So you see the front desk of the police department. You see the Terminator walk in, nearly running into the criminal psychologist as he checks his beeper. He walks up to the front desk guy. He says, I'm a friend of Sarah Connor. May I see her? And the front desk guy's like blowing him off like, yeah, she's busy with a written statement. Have a seat. The Terminator looks around, kind of gauging the front area in his computer brain, and he utters the famous and infamous line that even at 11, when I saw this movie, I knew this line was special. I'll be back. So he leaves. The front desk guy continues filling out some paperwork there. And all of a sudden, here comes the Terminator driving a car through the front of the police station and all hell breaking loose afterwards he is just walking through the police station shooting everything in sight sal there are 30 cops here and he is blowing them away and then he walks down the hall and kills the power very smart he can see in the dark he's a terminator it causes more panic and people are running around Terminator even shoots our beloved Lieutenant Traxler and Detective Vukovic. Kills him dead. Well, as far as we know, Vukovic gets shot off camera. We assume Vukovic meets his demise. So Reese escapes, finds Sarah. They escape, all while Terminator is blowing cops away. And Sal, they steal their third car. Via improper hotwire. Improper hotwire. And I think this one's like a Gremlin or a Pinto or something, mm -hmm. or it looks like one of those no, cars. No. It's not a Pinto, because I have had a Pinto in my life. That was one of those Gremlins, I believe. And so they get out of there. Terminator's still causing havoc, but they escape again. And then they run out of gas, because not every car you steal has a full tank. <laughs> and they're in some sort of woodsy area, and then they decide to push the car off the road to get it out of sight. And then they seek shelter uh, under some sort of bridge. And then she treats his gunshot wound almost like a field medic. Yeah, because we didn't mention that because he was shot. He took a hit. Yeah, yeah. So she addresses his wound and does a fantastic job. And then he begins to share more about John Connor because she wants to hear and he opens up more. I love how he says, he's about my height, spoiler alert. And he's got your eyes. But I thought, ooh, first time I saw this, I didn't see this coming. But okay. Yeah, yeah. I don't think in 1984 I saw this either. This just over my head. And then Reese shares something that John Connors had said to him. And he memorized it to tell Sarah, which is this. Thank you, Sarah, for your courage through the dark years. I can't help you with what you must face except to say the future is not set. You must be stronger than you can imagine you can be. You must survive or I will never exist. Wow. Words from the future. Yeah, because that was reassuring because this is right after she had sort of a that little breakdown that she didn't want this. Yeah. I don't want to be a part of this. I didn't right. ask for this, which I believe is the uh, the hero's journey. You know, the the reluctant leader, as I call it, which I believe is the highest leadership is when you kind of get pulled into the leadership position as opposed to nominating yourself. Yeah. Look at Jaws. Everyday man, Sheriff Martin Brody. He didn't want to go 
save the day and kill the shark. Quint wanted to go kill the shark. Well, Quint gets eaten. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But Brody was the hero. And that's the last thing he wanted to be. So you're absolutely right. She wants nothing to do with this. But yet, maybe it is my calling. Maybe I am strong enough. Mm-hmm. And it's all starting to resonate. And it's obvious that the Terminator is going to find her. So she's going to have to come to grips with this and work with Reese and try to defeat this machine. So now Reese shares about HKs. Which, Sal, what are HKs? Hunter killers. Hunter killers. Mm-hmm. Kind of like that. So he's sharing about HKs and he's telling more of the story, some of the things we saw before from the future, but now it's more intricate. Like he's telling her more things. And I swear, this is so much like Escape from New York. Mad Max, of course, and even has a Total Recall kind of vibe. Yeah, also a lot of the uh, Mad Max Beyond Thunderdome, that post-apocalyptic underground shelters. You know, you want to be safe from the enemy, the powers that be, the the machines, the institutions. You're down in these in these underground bunkers, and there's all kinds of crazy stuff going on. Like uh, people are catching rats to eat. There's a kid watching a television, and there's like a bonfire in the middle of the, of the television set. Yeah. So a lot of weird things going on here. Uh, and this is where we see that Kyle has a picture of Sarah in his hand. This is where we see that photograph. Remember this photograph. Yeah. You see Sarah Connor. You don't know when this is. You kind of see like a dog behind her. He's looking at this photo. You see her face very clearly. And also in the sequence, you see these two German shepherds, which I like seeing, of course, dogs in general, but specifically German shepherds. And... Uh, because we find out later that they can detect Terminators. They can sense them out. So have more dogs around you. That's why I got Nico, Sal, just in the event. Yeah, well, you don't know who's coming from the future to kill you. Exactly. And then in this future sequence, we see another Terminator. Yes, and this Terminator comes in, starts shooting up the place. And here's a little nugget. I recognized him right away. Again, knowing Arnold Schwarzenegger before his movie career, following his bodybuilding career, Arnold Schwarzenegger's real-life best friend, Franco Colombo, who is today a chiropractor, but once upon a time was a counterpart of Arnold Schwarzenegger in his bodybuilding career. And as a matter of fact, our Terminator here, played by Franco Colombo, was also once Mr. Olympia. Absolutely. And I recognized him too because I loved the documentary Pumping Iron. I highly recommend people see it. It's incredible. You see... Arnold competing for one of his later Mr. Olympian titles. Franco Colombo's in it. They're training together. You see the future Incredible Hulk, Lou Ferrigno, in the movie. And you really see Arnold. You see his charisma. But that's a great documentary. Again, see it. But that's how I recognize him. Franco Colombo's also very short. I mean, he's huge, but he's also very short in stature compared to Arnold. But it works here in this scene because he's got the muscles. He's got the look. It was really cool to see him in this role albeit very small, mm-hmm. but you can see that Reese has been terrorized by Terminators even in the future. Yeah. So in other words, it's almost like our Terminator here, played by Arnold Schwarzenegger, is one of many for Kyle Reese, sadly. Yeah. So now we're back at Terminator's apartment and his face is wait, decaying. Wait, hang on. <laughs> that sounds hilarious. We're back at Terminator's apartment. His neighbor walks over, wants to borrow some sugar. Kramer comes sliding in. Uh, And his face is decaying, and he's scanning Sarah's address book. And Sal, what happens next? So he's looking through this address book to gain information about Sarah's whereabouts. And then a custodian knocks on the door, some sort of janitor or custodian type. 
yells out something like, hey, you got a dead cat in there? And then we see this robot killer go through some sort of database of phrases. Of possible responses. Yeah, possible responses. And he decides to use, fuck you, asshole. And that works and sends the custodian guy on his way. So good. And then we see something that says, Mom's Cabin, Big Bear, 181, Spruce Lane. So Sal, he's deduced, go to Sarah's mom's because she would probably know Sarah's whereabouts. Because really, Sarah and Reese right now are needle in the haystack. I mean, they could get out of Dodge. He's limited, but he's using what he has to find her. Yeah, because at this time, Kyle and Sarah check into this motel. As soon as they're in there, Kyle goes out for supplies, and Sarah's on the phone with what she thinks is her mother, but we see it's actually the Terminator mimicking her mother over the telephone. They don't show it. That would have been extra horrific, but we can assume that the Terminator has killed Sarah's mother. Exactly. They go to the Tiki Motel, and that's actually in Huntington Park, Sal. Although I think in the movie they were trying to act like it's the San Jose area because the area code was 408 on the phone. Yeah. There was also a German shepherd there who's kind of like tied to the front of the Tiki Motel. So as Reese goes off to get groceries, you're absolutely right. Sarah calls her mother. And Sal, this Terminator, he's put it together. He's smart. He knows that she'll eventually talk to her mother. But Sal, let me just point this one thing out. The night before, when Sarah was taking a nap at the police precinct pre-Terminator, coming and ruining everything, Traxler said, your mother's coming down from Big Bear. So she was coming down to pick up Sarah. So are we led to believe that she got there and said, oh, this is crazy. I'm going back to Big Bear. I, I guess that's what happened but it seems a little far-fetched. I think she would have stayed and been like, this is like one of the biggest news stories of all time. A police precinct was blown up, everyone in it killed, and her mom's just going to drive back to Big Bear. I mean, maybe, but I'm just saying there's that. Wait, are you saying that it's entirely possible that the mother was not at the cabin when the Terminator showed up? I'm just questioning the logic of the mother. Why would she have returned there? But this is also a day and age where you had to go by your phone to wait for a phone call. So maybe it is completely plausible that she drove all the way back there to be by her phone because this predates cellular telephones. So anyway, back to what's really going on. And what do we see, Sal, as she hangs up the phone with her mother, air quotes, and she's shared with her the phone number and the room number where she's at? Yeah, the camera's moving along this cabin. Camera moves over and we see that it is the Terminator mimicking Sarah's mother, impersonating her mother. So I think we can assume the mother's dead. Yeah, you see like the door has a hole in it. The whole place has been destroyed. It's a really cool reveal. It's like a panning shot of all the destruction. Nobody, they didn't do that to us. But yes, I think it's safe to assume that her mother was there because he picked up on her voice Yes, and killed her. Well, so far the Cyberdyne Systems Model 101 has not been successful at killing Sarah Connor, but has been successful at killing Sarah Connor's mother. Yeah. 
and other people named Sarah Connor. Two other Sarah Connors. <laughs> so Reese comes home with the groceries and it's mothballs, corn syrup, and ammonia. Yeah. And we come to find out that actually these are the supplies for making pipe bombs. And that's what they're going to be doing here as the Terminator is heading down to see them on a motorcycle. Where did he get the motorcycle from? We don't know, but he's on a motorcycle now. Exactly. I'm sure he stole that like all the other stolen vehicles in this movie. And Reese grew up making nitroglycerin. So yeah, pipe bombs, no problem. I've been doing this since I was a kid. So now we cut back and forth. We have Terminator riding towards them. And little do either one of them know that the Terminator is headed their direction. Yeah. There would be no reason for them to think or believe that the Terminator knows where they are. No. But yeah, he does. We also find out, Sal, that Reese is not only a virgin, he's also in love with Sarah. Yeah, that was kind of a interesting reveal. I'd forgotten about that. So he expresses that he's had love for her since he first saw this picture. He traveled through time for her, which is incredibly romantic. And he expresses his affections for her, but then he's embarrassed and he gets up and walks away. But then she stands up, goes over to him, and starts kissing him. So she kind of makes the first move on Kyle Reese. Yeah. And then we have our sex scene. Yeah. Poor guy. Poor guy has to do a sex scene with uh, Linda Hamilton. Yeah. It's a pretty good sex scene. Pretty gratuitous sex scene. And now we know that John Connor has been conceived. Yeah. And you know, the 80s were just so chock full of gratuitous sex scenes, unlike today. I mean, you know, gratuitous sex scenes were just part of sci-fi and horror back in the 80s, but not so much today. That's a bygone era. Yeah. So now the Terminator is getting closer and he's got the gun over the shoulder, Sal. Like he's, he's ready for business. And then we hear the German Shepherd that's tied up at the front office he starts to bark, which is a telltale sign for Terminators. And then what happens? Well, the Terminator breaks down the door of the motel room, but Kyle and Sarah have made off on their way. And this time, Reese pulls a Terminator move and he tosses a guy out of his own car. Oh, yes, yes. And doesn't bang his head like the cop. More like the phone booth scene when he threw Morris out of the way. If I'm not mistaken, fourth stolen car for Reese and Sarah. Mm-hmm. And we, you know, by today's standards, we would still call that a carjacking. I don't <laughs> know if they had the term carjacking back in 84, but that was a carjacking. Uh, that guy, innocent guy, but happened to be in the wrong place at the wrong time. In fact, when you see the Terminator walk up, the guy kind of moves out of his way. Terminator does not do anything to him. And he's like, oh, hey. So he finally gets in his car only to be thrown out by Reese. So he was really in the wrong place at the that wrong time. That was the same guy that moved out of the way was the same, same guy. guy. Okay, yeah. Same guy. He's like, I'm getting out of here. Oh, hey. And so this chase goes on. And I like how that they wind up at the Second Street Tunnel. And those of us who know Los Angeles are visited are those of us who watch movies. You have seen this tunnel in many, many movies, more than you even realize. Some huge films such as Blade Runner, Independence Day, The Dark Knight, and many, many more use this tunnel, Sal. And the reason this tunnel is so, let's just say, cinematic is because I believe it's just tiled the whole way around, the whole sphere. So the way it shines, it's kind of like this white, glossy, 
uh, reflective tunnel. And it's just, you've seen it a lot. There's no other tunnels like it that I've ever seen. So I'll see it in a movie and think, oh, wait, that's it. And it just gets used a lot. And here they are in it again, going down. And I believe that now Reese is throwing these pipe bombs at Terminator. Yeah, you know, you, you got to have your aim perfect because he's throwing the pipe bombs hoping that they explode right at the right moment, but they're kind of a few seconds early or a few seconds late, so the Terminator is just heading forward on this motorcycle, kind of dodging all these pipe bombs for now. Exactly. You're exactly right. They're just blowing up and then you see him come through the smoke. And since he's not nervous, he's a machine, he's not veering out of the way or try- he's just going full throttle. If he gets blown up, so be it. He'll deal with that if and when it happens. And it's very hard to hit a moving target with the pipe bomb, turns sure. out. And then Sarah driving, she has an idea of one way of getting the Terminator off of his motorcycle, which is what? That's to uh, hit him and knock him off. She kind of pins him into the side of the road there and, yeah, knocks him down. Although that also puts them at great risk because they start to roll themselves. Yeah. So they roll the car. And then she is upside down in this car with Kyle, but quickly grabs him, pulls him out. Yeah. And then also the Terminator has to kind of come too because he crashed on the motorcycle. So he's kind of coming too, gathering himself. And just as the Terminator is starting to gather himself... Here comes a giant big rig truck. Yeah. And he gets run over by this big rig truck. Two guys in this truck, they stop. They're like, holy cow, one of the guys gets out just to check on what the hell or who the hell he ran over. He wants to do do the right thing, right? Gets out. And the Terminator just grabs this guy. What does he do with this guy? Does he just He just throws him. <laughs> he just throws him, goes into the truck. He looks so gruesome right now, turns to the passenger. This scene is is almost like one of those. I'll be back scenes, because I'll never forget this line. When he turns to the passenger and says, get out. And that passenger does exactly what I would have done at that moment. Got the hell out of that truck. Yeah, the passenger thought his buddy was getting back in the truck. He's like, hey, what was it? Oh, And he sees this grotesque machine man. And he's like, uh, I'm out of here. So the Terminator does let people live if they just get the heck out of his way. And I like how the Terminator looks down at the gear shaft and does some sort of three-dimensional scan to see how the gear shift works. I guess he does like an automatic learning upload. Yeah, it's like the Matrix. Yeah, look down at the problem and boom, you you solve it and there you go. Before we know it, he knows how to drive an 18-wheeler with all these gears. How many gears does an 18-wheeler have? I don't know, but it looks pretty intimidating to me. A lot of gears. And I know how to drive a stick, but that would take me a minute. It's like the Matrix when he didn't know how to fly a helicopter and he downloaded it really quickly and then boom, they're off. Very similar to that. So that's an homage to the Terminator. So then he starts to chase them down the street because now Sarah has got Reese up and he's running and they're going down the street. And I always like when people are running from a vehicle down the middle of the street and then Reese can't keep up with her. He goes off to the side and yells at her to keep running because the Terminator is really just after her. And then Reese does what, Sal? Pretty great move. Well, let me just mention this for cinematic sake. And that is this scene as they're running from this big rig truck. I, I'm having flashbacks of Steven Spielberg's Duel, the movie oh, starring yeah. Dennis Weaver, which is one of my favorite old movies that was just a guy getting chased by an evil guy in a truck. So very reminiscent of that. A lot of terror here, a lot of uh, hopelessness almost. I mean, if I'm running down the street and a truck is on my ass, I don't know if I'm going to have a lot of hope there. So what happens is Reese grabs one of these pipe bombs and throws it into the exhaust of this truck. 
fantastic move. And by the way, this is not just any truck. This is a tanker truck, so we can assume maybe it's full of fuel. This is not just a truck carrying bananas or, or chickens. This is full of some sort of flammable liquid. So when he throws that pipe bomb in, this whole thing explodes and goes up in flames. It does. And Sal, when I saw this movie for the first time, I thought, ball game. Reese is the hero. It's over. My gosh, that was such a close call. But we see Sarah and Reese reunite. And then out of the ashes, Sal, what do we see? It's one of these moments where you almost think, okay, that was a good movie. Glad that's over. And you're almost (laughs) starting to get up from your chair. And then, boom, here comes the Terminator coming out of the flames, skin completely burnt off. We now see him in his true silver metal form without his his flesh, his lab-grown flesh. We now see him in his all of his uh, endoskeleton, I believe it's called. And then we ha- still have his red eyes. So this is a hideous robotic creature limping towards you now. Absolutely. And I have to say, Sal, that the tighter shots, like of the feet or the backside, when they just really have this practical effect going on where it's really there, those look so cool. Very similar to an American werewolf in London when the the man was running in the tube and he's going up the escalator and you see the wolf come into frame very slowly, just enough to make it believable. Those shots are great. The other shots of the actual moving robot look a little cartoony to me in the sequence. I'm not sure how you felt. Yeah, definitely. I mean, this is not, uh, this is probably the beginning of uh, computer graphic technology. You know, some practical effects, some computer effects. And yeah, they had not arrived. Just like I mentioned earlier, James Cameron's later work with Avatar, they have not arrived yet with the computer technology. So you do see those seams there where you see like half the frame looks real, half the frame looks sort of animated. Yeah, there was a couple of those shots, but believe me, uh, sitting where we are today, I definitely give a lot of leeway for the era itself. And they did a very good job of using the effects that I liked more, the actual robot there keeping in front of them when he's hitting it and his reaction. They did a very good job of that to keep the realism going. So they take refuge in this building, which, of course, Sal, they are in the GMF Robotics plant. Yeah. And it's very similar for those of you who have ever been in the bowels of a ship. Here in Los Angeles, we used to have the Queen Mary and they would have a tour of the ship and you can go into the bowels of the ship. I've yeah. Got it. So this was kind of reminiscent of that. Even though this was some sort of robotics laboratory, the layout and the way the, the, the stairs and ladders go around and you have these little alcoves, kind of reminiscent of being in the bottom of a giant ship. And in this scene, no security guards, robotics laboratory, a lot of expensive equipment, No security guard there whatsoever. So Reese starts to turn everything on to confuse the Terminator, throw off his bearings or what have you. And of course, the Terminator still finds them because uh, he is the Terminator. And Reese then grabs a pole and is trying to fight the Terminator off. Yeah, he gets a few good shots in, swinging this metal rod at the Terminator's head. A few neck cranks of the Terminator going boom, boom, slam, slam of the face. Those shots are pretty cool, actually. Yeah, well, I like the way his head tilts uh, in either direction. My favorite part was the backhand. So he he knocks this pipe out of Kyle Reese's hand, and then the Terminator delivers this major backhand. I mean, geez, that that would probably break someone's jaw pretty easily. And then Reese has one last pipe bomb. Yeah, he sticks it into the ribcage of the Terminator. 
And then he kind of falls down the railing. So he goes out of frame. We just kind of assume he falls off this sort of platform. And then the Terminator explodes right in front of our faces. He explodes. And now maybe we're thinking, oh, well, now he's got to be dead. Yeah, parts go everywhere. Even Sarah, who's pretty far ahead of them, she takes a part in her leg and she's got to pull it out and she's in pain, but elated that she's lived because she's just swimming through all these parts, you know, because he's just this mechanical thing and parts spewed everywhere. I believe she crawls over to uh, Reese, who again, our hero, right? He did it. He's killed the Terminator a second time in the last few minutes. And when she gets to Reese, what do we find out? Uh, very sad. Uh, Reese appears dead. I say appears because you never know in movies, but he does seem dead. So she uh, starts to break down over yeah. Reese's lifeless body. And guess who reappears? Terminator reappears mm. without any legs. He's just sort of an upper torso. But just goes to show, just like uh, Kyle Reese said earlier in the movie, he will not stop until you are dead. Nothing will stop this thing. So he keeps moving forward in spite of having no legs and crawling, chasing after Sarah Connor. Yeah. And very capable of killing her. I know it's kind of, surely she can get away, but she's injured. No one's around to help. She has no weapons. And this is still a very strong robot. His hands could crush you. So he's coming, albeit slow, but it's a really cool sequence, which happens. If she starts to crawl away, he's crawling towards her. And Sal, please set the stage. Well, the grand finale of this uh, ride of terror, I would call it, is Sarah crawls through with some sort of hydraulic press. We should point out that earlier had been hit and went into motion, but we didn't talk about. Yeah. So now she crawls through and then she traps the Terminator in this, closes like a gate. He reaches through with his arm, tries to grab her. The piece de resistance, very similar to the I'll be back, very similar to the get out moment in the truck. Another famous line, she reaches around the corner, pushes the button, but right before that, looks at the Terminator and says, you're terminated, fucker, and hits that button, and down comes that hydraulic press, down, squishing, squishing the Terminator. And then we have electricity again, right? Sort of lightning coming out. He leaves this world the way he came into it. That's exactly what happens. A lot of electricity... It continues to try to smash him down, taking all the life out of him. And then you see the classic red eye finally go black. Yes. And I think at that moment, we can all take a breath because I think we can now assume the Terminator's dead. I think it's safe to assume now. Now, so I like the way that she had to reach around her hand of these buttons, these three buttons, and she picked the right one to bring it down. That was pretty funny that she learned that right away. But she's got skills, Sarah Connor. And then what do we see happen to Reese next? Well, the next time we see Reese, uh, he's being zipped up in a body bag. In a body bag. Homage to (laughs) Cobra Kai. I knew you were going to say that. Yes. And Sarah goes into an ambulance and seen. She lived. Cops come piece it together. I mean, let's not forget, and I talked about it a minute ago about the mother, but this is a big story with this police station being shot up. I mean, imagine the coverage of that, Sal. 
We don't know what happened. Apparently it was a robot. I mean, if this had gotten out there, what had really taken place? But there's no video. There's no cell phone footage. We don't know what happened, but this police precinct was under siege, as well as all these weird things that happened around the city, explosions, semis blowing up. I mean, LA was under siege with the Terminator. The tech noir people are all telling their stories. Yeah, this guy came in, he got shot, he got back up. I mean, it was a crazy night or so in Los Angeles. Yeah. See, now that you mention it, and since I mentioned Predator earlier, imagine if Terminator arrived in Los Angeles the same moment Predator, <laughs> the city hunter, arrived in Los Angeles. Oh. What a crossover that would be, Terminator versus Predator. Yeah, that's crazy. I want to see that movie. Okay, so now we see Sarah's driving... And she says, tape seven, November 10th. And we find out that Sarah's pregnant, Sal. Mm -hmm. Yep. And she is making recordings, audio recordings as she drives for her unborn son who is currently in her belly. And as she said earlier in the film, I guess he's already named. So she knows it's going to be John because that's just what he needs to be. And she is in a Jeep Renegade. Nice looking Jeep. And she's got a German Shepherd. Mm -hmm. Although I was wondering what happened to the iguana. I think that they should have had a little shot, uh, maybe with, with the iguana in a cage on the floor. That would have shown that, you know, that would have like tied it up a little more, I think. Because otherwise, what happened to the iguana? Oh, Pugsley. Who knows? And then I guess it appears that she's in Mexico. She pulls into a gas station and... Then there's a nice little sequence here. They're at this gas station, and yeah, they appear to be maybe somewhere south of the border. There are piñatas hanging, one of them for sure, Tecate beer. So we got Tecate beer piñatas. I think you can only gather that we are somewhere in the deserts of Mexico at a gas station. She continues her audio re recordings. She stopped. The guy comes over. She tells him she has an English to Spanish translate book. She tells him in Spanish, fill it up. He says, I see, fill it up. He goes around to start to fill up the car. Out of nowhere, a little boy takes her picture, unbeknownst to her. She's surprised by it. And then he says something in Spanish that the old guy who works at the gas station has to translate for Sarah, basically saying, he's asking you to give him $5 for this picture. If he doesn't get $5 for this picture, when he gets home, his father will beat him. <laughs> Great story. Great sales line. Well, Sarah... Offers him four. The kid takes four. The kid's very excited. And then the kid turns around. Viene la tormenta. And Sarah again asks the guy, what did he say? The old man says, there's a storm coming. To which Sarah replies, I know. And of course, we know what she is referring to. Her future, her destiny. And she drives off towards the horizon. And we hear that music come on. That iconic Terminator music. Dun, 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 dun. So oh, I love that. We didn't talk about the music much other than earlier on I'd mentioned Brad Fidel's name who composed it. The music is great. The score is incredible throughout the whole film. And yeah, I find myself just listening to that music sometimes because it's just so Terminator. Comes on at the right times. Perfect ending as she drives towards the storm. She knows what's coming. She's such a different person now than the girl that we met on the scooter in the opening parts of this movie. I mean, night and day. Yeah, I'm thinking her waitressing days are over. I would say. Yeah, and you know what? 
a little shout out for Terminator 2. She comes on strong in Terminator 2. And I'm talking specifically about her physique because when the Terminator 2 came out, I was working at the gym at the time as a trainer when Terminator 2 came out and every woman came in. I want to look like Linda Hamilton from Terminator 2. She had an iconic physique for Terminator 2 and continues to kick ass as Sarah Connor. So definitely, if you've seen Terminator, definitely want to implore you to see Terminator 2. You're absolutely right. And also the fact that Arnold switched the sides and becomes a good guy. But Mm -hmm. I think he did his best work as the villain in this movie. It was perfectly cast. And I believed it from the beginning to the end. He was relentless. Mm -hmm. The movie is fantastic, Sal, and it deserves that 100% on Rotten Tomatoes. Yeah, I would say so. And as a matter of fact, uh, revisiting this movie after all these years, because I haven't seen this movie in, in decades. Uh, I really appreciate it more now, really have a lot more respect for it more now. It's not just a, a sci-fi flick, you know? No. There's, there's a lot of meat in this movie. I think they did a, a lot with a little very simple storyline, not a, a whole ton of locations. We had the streets of LA, a few apartments and a police station, and they did a lot with this. And maybe we should have done a body count in this movie. It's no commando where he killed hundreds of people, but still an amazing movie. And so now time for trivia, which I'd like to do on Let's Talk Movies. To get the film greenlit, Mike Metavoy, who I've actually met, Sal, incredible guy, look him up, eight Oscars. He was head of Orion Pictures at the time, and he agreed to finance it on one condition. It needed a major star. And his idea was to cast O.J. Simpson Mm, as the Terminator. Yes. And Arnold Schwarzenegger as the good guy, as Reese's character. Now, Cameron and the other producers pushed back on this, stating, O.J. was too nice and would not be taken seriously as a cold-blooded killer. Hmm? Yeah, yeah. Historic words. Right? How about that? As for Schwarzenegger, he had just completed Conan the Barbarian and Conan the Destroyer, as we mentioned earlier, which he had very limited dialogue in due to his heavy accent and the role itself. So Cameron was opposed to casting him anyway. That was until they shared an important lunch meeting, and Cameron realized that he wasn't right for the good guy, but rather he would make a great Terminator. So with 14 lines of dialogue, And 21 minutes of screen time, Arnold Schwarzenegger encapsulated the role and terrified audiences for years to come. Great story. To always throw back to the Karate Kid universe, which is our mainstay. Like how they didn't want Pat Morita at first, right? Yeah. And they didn't want Schwarzenegger. I've experienced that. I'm proud to say I was second or third choice on a few projects. And I think everyone was proud with the results in the end. Well, you were first choice for my co-host for Let's Talk Cobra Kai. Thank you. Thank you. You're very welcome, Sal. And uh, next, the Tech Noir nightclub was named after a film genre which James Cameron coined himself in describing the film. He would also include Blade Runner and say that these films combine the old-style grittiness of noir films with the futuristic elements of a sci-fi thriller. It's a pretty cool tag. I like that. Tech noir. Film noir becomes tech noir in the world of James Cameron. Yes, very neat. I didn't know that. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Okay, here's my last bit of trivia. Then there's the most famous line in the film in which Schwarzenegger tells the police, go ahead, Sal. I'll be back. And then rams a stolen vehicle through the front of the station. Now, in the script, the line was written as, I'll come back. 
which simply doesn't have the same impact or staying power. And Schwarzenegger was against saying, I'll be back. But James Cameron was able to convince him to try it. And the rest is movie history. Yeah. I mean, I think the I'll be back line is right up there with, frankly, my dear, I don't give a damn. I do too. I think you're right. This movie really holds up. And a movie that can spawn that many sequels and still not tarnish its own legacy just tells you how special this movie was. And I'm sure Cameron can look at it and think, no, 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 Terminator 2, that'll be bigger, better, badder. He's probably more proud of that one. I don't know this for sure, because this is early on and they had limited budget and it was really gritty. But Sal, sometimes that just makes a better movie. Yeah. You know, the limitations on Jaws that Steven Spielberg had made it a better movie. And you just mentioned Duel earlier. Well, Duel, it was like a TV movie. He barely had any money, and he was trying to prove himself, but still holds up. Good filmmaking, great filmmaking can hold up better than if you have all the toys to play with and all the money in the world to throw at something. Sometimes strip it down to its essence and let the movie be what it is. And I love The Terminator, and I will always love it. And anytime it comes on, I'm going to enjoy the ride. Yeah, it definitely was a lot of fun. I, and I have no regrets watching this movie one day and then again the next day. No regrets. A real great film, a lot of fun to watch. I'm glad you came on for your third guest hosting appearance and traveled down the Terminator rabbit hole with me. And um, I hope that you enjoyed it. You know what? I had so much fun on this podcast, Jason. You know what I think? I'll be back. <laughs> There it is, folks. There it is. Not I'll come back, but I'll be back. So thanks so much for listening. And please be sure to subscribe, rate, and review the show wherever you get your podcast. You can also follow us on social media at Let's Talk Movies or check out our other shows at justcuriousmedia.com. So without further ado, please enjoy The Terminator.